0: This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, I got to chat with Adam Robinson to learn how he bootstrapped his company, Retention.com, from zero to over 15 million in ARR in just two and a half years, fully bootstrapped. You'll learn the different stages he took his business through on the journey to find product market fit how he finally found product market fit and the signs that went with that, and how identifying who his best customer would be and refining his ICP changed his business almost overnight. Whether you're a seasoned founder or building something for the first time, I think you're going to get a ton of value out of this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Adam, welcome to Metrics and Chill. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, It's, like I said, an honor to meet you, and I'm excited to chat with you today.
1: I'm excited to be here.
0: Thanks, Jeremiah. Um, So the way we start the show, like I mentioned, can you give a 30-second pitch for retention.com? What is it? What pain do you solve? Who are the target customers that you help?
1: Sure. So we sell right now exclusively to large Shopify stores. And that was like honing in on the most successful ideal customer profile. Um, There's a product called Shopify Plus. It's the 14,000 biggest stores in the Shopify 2.5 million store ecosystem. And there's about 14,000 other stores like them. So it's this 30,000 person audience of very successful Shopify stores that are not yet mid-market, let's say. Um, We solve two problems for them. One, anonymous people hit their website. They don't fill out a form. We can resolve those visitors to a deliverable email address, which is incredible. Number two, using that same identity technology, we can help stores expand the audience that they're sending cart abandonment And product abandonment emails too, which are the most lucrative emails in the world, obviously, because there's so much intent. They're so personalized. They're so timely. Uh, The problem is that currently stores are only sending those emails to people who are logged in to their store, which is... No one. It's like 15%. It's 15% of the people who are bailing on carts. So we can capture like 80% of those. So it's, it's just this massive value add for two
0: unbelievably painful problems for these, for these stores. Awesome. Um, And this is all first party data, right? So you're dropping a snippet of code on your site and then you own this data. This is, and then you're, you have, it looks like a patent, like proprietary technology that does this for you, for the, for the customers. The brand owns the record once we pass it to them. Okay. Awesome. Um, All right. So we're going to be talking today for anyone, you know, listening, how you grew from, I I think you've exceeded at this point, because I've got a couple different revenue numbers, but how you grew from zero to 14 million ARR in two and a half years, bootstrapped, um, starting with a team of six, zero funding. I I think you're at over 15 million now. I think I read 15.7 somewhere. We're um, like probably 17 or 18. I don't even know. Something like that. Okay. So crazy, crazy growth. Um, You, I should say at the beginning of the show, because at the end, we can tell people where to find you, but you've been doing this like very, um, like build in public led thing where you're sharing a ton of content on LinkedIn, on YouTube. You have uh, a podcast that people can go listen to where you're kind of sharing all these insights. So that's, that's worth a listen. Um, But can you, let's start here. Can you go through the short story kind of like the 30,000 foot version, I guess, of how you grew to 14 million in two and a half years. I watched your YouTube of like, I've got the origin story of, um, I'll I'll summarize, you can correct me and then tell me how you got to the 14 million. So it sounds like you took screenshot, when you had the idea and you were working on getting the product off the ground, the MVP, you took screenshots of Drift's UI, as an example, you had a designer mock up your flow, uh, the, the onboarding flow of how you wanted that to work. You had a firm, build out the HTML, I'm guessing maybe the front end of that. And then yeah. you handed it to someone on your team to build the MVP, namely the pixel and the mechanism that actually ships emails. And you ran a Facebook ad explainer video of the product for 5K. You spent 5K one month and that month got 10K in MRR after 12 weeks. Yeah. Okay, wow. <laughs> that,
1: so that, that was like... Yeah, that's how actually the product was made. And the the point that I was, um, you know, humble bragging about <laughs> in that video was the first company that I started was an email marketing app. And that market is very difficult. Um, and that's where this came from. That company was stuck. And I was trying to figure out how to differentiate from MailChimp, basically. Like we had a bunch of customers who if they knew mailchimp was free they would have been using it but like we poached them in this way where they didn't know mailchimp existed so it's a terrifying feeling knowing this so i was mm-hmm. trying to figure out but like that market you can't just go run an ad and get an email marketing customer like there are these 10 billion dollar brands that are maxing out the channels it's a super it's like selling coca-cola it's like selling a product against coca-cola good luck <laughs> you know yeah um so i had been yearning for something that was different from them, which I think is, you know, important thing. Number one, like that I have realized in my journey, be as different as possible. Um, I came across this identity idea. I heard about it. I heard that it was possible that you could actually resolve a website visitor to an email address, uh, without them filling out a form. And it took me a year and a half to figure out how to do it. (laughs) You know, it's, it's very, it's, it's crazy. And then when I figured out how to do it, I also figured out what I was looking for and there were a couple other vendors that were doing it. But in my opinion, they were doing it as a SaaS guy, they were doing it in a completely unusable way. Like mm. there were no integrations, they were sending this file to their customers. I think a really important part of it quite frankly is they weren't ex- they would not tell you even 1% of the information about how the product actually worked behind the scenes. And the nature of what I'm describing is so Uh, sketch feeling provoking anyway. I think that if you don't provide any information, you will get zero customers. So like my view was, man, I figured out how to do it. I'm going to make this super easy to use. I'm going to make, I'm going to be very transparent about how the product actually works. I'm going to be uh, highly provocative with the marketing because you know, like, I'm sure your first thought is how is this legal? Like, I'm going to play that up a ton. Like just try to get, press and everything else around how provocative this is and how uncomfortable it feels knowing that this is possible. (laughs) That's not what I'm doing now. That's what I did in the beginning. Right. Yeah, Um, Yeah. So, you know, we, it started as a feature in the email marketing app. People were finding us for that, using the feature, downloading the file, and putting it in their email marketing app. So like my original vision was this will help us grow Robley, which was what the company was called. Then after people were not using Robley, using the identity product, telling me that it was awesome, it was like, okay, I should spin this out, connect it to all of the other messaging platforms. And then it's probably got a shot, you know, at being a good product. Um, And then like many SaaS companies, you know, you start as self-serve, you know, $19 a month, somebody can sign up and use it. And you just try to start learning. Um, My instinct was totally wrong about who the customer base was going to be. I thought it was going to be largely the affiliate sending market, like not even close, just doesn't seem to work for them for some reason. Um, But it's, it's such a big problem. And it's so easy to understand. And like, you can sort of just like say this sentence. That's like immediately provocative to people that it was always very easy for us to sell. If that makes sense. Like we had this demand gen machine running in the Philippines, just cold emailing people. The company was called get emails. So very, you know, again, just like in your face, descriptive of what it was and cold emailing and consumer is somewhat of a controversial topic. Like People, there's all sorts of disbelief that like comes up when you describe what we do. Um, so I was playing off that, uh, but zero and in this journey from zero to 14 million, like it was like it was like this. Like we launched, you know, I think I got it to like 50,000 ARR and call it four months. COVID hits. Wow. COVID hits down to 25, <laughs> right? Like literally, like and and it was it was like this weird like. I ran Facebook ads for six months and they're on my YouTube channel. Actually, they're hilarious. I had this idea that um, if it was right around the time that I noticed more people, I'm not on social media myself, but I noticed more people were like sending these selfie videos to each other and putting them on Instagram or anything. I'm like, they're trying to be amusing. The background's interesting. Like, what if I could do a 60 second video once a week? With my attractive wife, be funny and get people expecting to see the ad every week, then you've won the game. So that worked. (laughs) Like this thing took on a life of its own. Like we had like a plot in these videos. I mean, if you watch them, like they're absolutely hysterical, but that sort of stopped working because we were Facebook was the channel, like the Shopify list is what worked the best. And you burn through that list and I couldn't really get any other interest groups to work that well. And it was just bringing in the wrong type of customer. Like it was just bringing in this super high, like 20%. The ads were paying themselves back in a day, but it was like a 20% monthly churn on the visitors that came from Facebook.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like,
1: that's great when you're in the very early, I want to grow and I want to create this like halo, you know, but it became very clear very quickly that our larger customers weren't churning. And these smaller ones were. So like that caused like a slow drift up market into like you know more e-commerce type people. We thought political was going to be like uh, big for us, and it kind of never was. Like I don't know, it's like I always Diana was doing most of this sort of outbound uh, call center type. Or sorry, the demand gen machine fielding demos closing people or whatever. And I was always trying to experiment with other total addressable markets. Um, And yeah, I mean, we just like brute forced our way, you know, sort of like this, like, like in, in the, some of the customers were big, like Warby Parker came on early. They were paying us 25 grand a month, like super early we made some other products that were playing a 60 grand a month at one point. Then like, you know, some stuff happens, like Warby churns back down to, or contracts back down to 25, like a couple of these 20 grand a month guys, you know, churn. And like, all of a sudden it's like, you know, are like 5 million ARR businesses, 4 million ARR or something like that. Like that was like the, the, the ride all the way up. Um, and sometime around the middle of last year, we both created. So like it was just the top of the funnel product that get emails thing Mm -hmm. uh, took me two and a half years. Why don't we also use these for abandoned carts? Wouldn't that work? (laughs) Right. It works incredibly well at the same time. Diana put it all together that these big Shopify stores specifically ever, like no one had ever churned. They were all sending us all their friends. Uh, Like not above big Shopify. Like we couldn't get another Warby Parker. She happened to know them. Couldn't get, could never get it going with like Harry's or like we talked to them. like Smile Direct. Like these mid-market guys, it just wasn't sticking. But -hmm. these big Shopify guys, not only were they not churning, they were sending us more business. They were saying it's the greatest thing in the world. So um, we came up with even more product for them and then changed the pricing to where it was like, it was effectively a like two thirds price reduction from what we were selling the core product for, because I wanted the bottom of the funnel product to be like a five X ROI and then throw in the top of the funnel one for free, um, bought retention.com because we're no longer just getting emails. And this is like, it was clear that there was like a much, a huge play in this, like one very focused market related to e-commerce retention. And got this guy, Santos Sharon, who is like, you know, he built Zoom Info. He built Apollo.io. He is just the most unbelievable data company builder that exists in the world. He's transitioning to COO. And we're like, there are no competitors. Every single Shopify Plus store, if they just hear about this, we'll use it. We need to literally brute force go get it. (laughs) So we've hired you know, 40 people in the last, I don't know, nine weeks. Um, It's, it's incredible. You know, BDR agency. And part- in, in this Shopify Plus ecosystem, like if you look at Clavio or Attentive or Gorgeous, these are like the biggest Shopify apps. They're like kind of like 40, 50% BDR, you know, 30, 35% agency partnerships. Like all of the big stores execute through agencies. So this partnership is like an unbelievable lead channel and moat and... 15% like the physical event motion of trade shows and small events around trade shows. And then for us, since there's no competition, the affiliate channel is actually incredible. These influencers that have network. So we're just like as aggressively as possible, building out all of that. And as you said, I'm just making a tremendous amount of noise about it because you know, we're, we don't like, we don't have Sequoia on our cap table. Like I need to attract talent somehow. And uh, you know, nothing speaks louder than numbers that are crushing it. Like it's like yeah. you don't even have to believe me what I'm saying. Like, here's my fucking QuickBooks
0: account. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> you yeah. Know? You're very like, you're incredibly transparent. Like yeah. if for anyone who's listening to US and checked out your profile, like you're you're posting screenshots of like your Stripe or like whatever it is, you're showing yeah. like all the charts, all the numbers you're doing, all the breakdowns. Um yeah, that's incredible. So it sounds like it started as a, like a feature for the email tool. You spun it off on its own. You had an intuition that this was going to be, have have a better potential for success. And in the early days, I, I don't know how long that was, a year or so, or like you were saying, um, a lot of it with the cold outreach, um, some of the ads and things like that, you're just trying to kind of Market to everybody. And what you found at the end of all that kind of up and down activity that you that you motioned is like these Shopify Plus partners, like you finally feel like you hit product market fit at that point. Exactly. Like this is the this is what they want, this is what they're asking for, and they never churn.
1: Yeah. I so like there's something that I've kind of just thought over and over again and started saying as I've started yelling recently to people on social media. Um your intuition is not. A good indicator of market viability so Mm. the intuition i think for anyone with a product like every single day someone tells me we need to be doing this for b2b every fucking day today someone will tell me that guess what doesn't work (laughs) right like i've tried um so uh you hear what we do, which is we put a pixel on your site and it resolves to, uh, a deliverable email. And you're like, everybody with a website can use this. So naturally who has websites, everyone, like, let's just send a cold email to everyone with a a website. And then I just think it takes an enormous amount of time and pain and observation and communication to, you know, get to a point, at least it did for me. Right. I think there's shortcuts to it. If you're sort of, uh, you know, if you're in a market, like I think like a, a Shopify, a really good entrepreneur who had some Shopify brands could probably create a SaaS product that would get to prop uh, product market fit quicker, but like they're solving their own problem. I was just throwing spaghetti against the wall, trying to grow my email marketing app. Right. Like, yeah. Um, so it, I mean, it just took years of like, what was the, why didn't we go sooner? Our monthly churn rate was like six, 7% every month. Like I'm not going to, you know, that business, no matter what is like, never going to get over 25 or 30 million ARR. So the plan, which is great. And it would have gotten there. Like the plan the whole time was just like, all right, like this isn't the end of the world. If we have seven or eight employees and it's 25 or 30 million ARR and we're not spending any money on marketing. That's a fine right. life. Right. But like in, in, in a strange way, that's like very uninspiring. It's not like, it's so much more inspiring to like hear somebody be like, I'm going to create a fucking unicorn in the next 12 months. Like, are you on board or not? Like we had six employees nine weeks ago. (laughs) Like, let's go. (laughs) Right. Like, like, that's just like it, it like in the city, it's like an occupy Mars battle cry that is like, so And strangely, it's not only invigorating To your employees, like that energy that's bottled up in that statement, it goes through them out to everybody. So, like, your customers get more excited about it. Like, all the partners that you're dealing with are super fucking yoked about it. It translates into this brand heat that I had no appreciation for until I started
0: being so loud about it and then seeing what came back. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of
1: report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here
0: and we have the traffic data in GA. So the first thing I think is like build out you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. You know, was, was that something that you... Like when you started, was the desire? I I don't like this word or this term, but like a lifestyle business. 100%. Were you aiming at that? You just thought, okay, twenty five. I was million. aiming at a lifestyle.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you. In my opinion, you never know what. It, what? Like, you have no idea what's coming from a business when you started. When you started, I knew we could sell the shit out of it. Like, that I was always very worried about the churn, and then you know, your, your goals are very fluid, at least mine are right. It's like, okay. You know, it's like, you look at what you have. I'm never going to think that you can grow a business with a seven or 8% churn rate to, to a unicorn. It's just not going to happen. Right? Like, so in order to not be a tortured soul, I'm not going to make that my goal, (laughs) you Mm. know, but like when we really lock this in and we switch to the annual and it's like so much better of an offer for these guys, like, it's just a home run. It's like, like now I can literally with a spreadsheet, like I can see us getting to 50 million by the end of the year ARR. And that's like, we're going to be very profitable. Like that's a unicorn. Right. So like, and then I noticed that like me just talking about that and the absurdity of the story of we had six employees in October and like, now I'm out there yelling about this. Um, it just gets a lot of interest and attention and generates excitement. So I just started yelling even more about it. <laughs> like, like, like every, every word that I yell encourage what comes back encourages me to yell harder and longer. Right. Know? Right. So, so it's I'm like, cu- what what else can I possibly tell these people that would shock them even more? Like that's kind of the mode right now.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Like that's why, you know, when, when I was told about you, it was like, wait, this is like the stated goal is to, is to build this. And so this is what's so compelling to me is, you know, we don't, I've never framed an interview as directly as I am this one with you, because typically what we do is like the show is centered around how B2B leaders are driving predictable growth, but we'll zoom in on something micro, right? Maybe it's like a goal setting framework or like a reporting framework that they use to keep everyone on the same page or whatever. Like, and But you then like, as I was prepping for this interview, it's like you're coming in with a stated goal of like, like literally planning to grow, like you're planning to grow a unicorn, you're doing it in public. Um, So I guess, you know, moving to that, to how you plan to grow, it was there a ton of planning at the beginning or was it like you knew you were in the MVP stage and you just had to like kind of work as hard as you could see what came back and kind of like be directed as you went versus now from the stuff you've been sharing, it looks like, you know, you're incredibly planned out. Like you share these breakdowns of numbers. You're like at this churn rate, at this revenue amount, we're going to, and then in 2024, you had this slide in your YouTube video of like in 2024, we're going to like raise prices. I expect 25%, you know, churn rate, which will get us to 70 million. Like, So how does the beginning of planning to grow when you started compared to how you do now? So like, there's like, to me, it all comes
1: back to this product market fit thing, right? So like, it was an incredible, I think there's like a few different, there's like Seth Godin said once that if you, something to the effect of like, if you tell 10 people about your idea and like nine of them aren't visibly enthusiastic in their face about it, or maybe like, if you tell them about their idea and they didn't tell anybody else, or like at least one of them didn't actually tell anybody else, then your idea sucks. Start somewhere else. Like, uh, I thought that that first month of spending five grand on ads and getting 10 K MRR, it was like really good validation of that part of it. And by the way, in month one, you don't have churn. So I was like, this is going to be fucking huge. And like, I had all sorts, I had these affiliate guys that were coming in telling me that like, oh, like if Agora knew about this, like they'll pay you $2 million a month for these leads. And I'm just like, and then like the guy would just vanish, right? Like, like the affiliate world is a very weird one to navigate. So like uh, the emotional journey of what I understood, what I thought that this was, was all over the place, right? Like Like it's a weird, thing, you know, the Y Combinator blog would say, if someone's willing to endure a horrible user experience and still use your product and say that it's amazing, that's a really good product market fit sign. The ultimate product market fit sign is they don't churn, right? So like this was showing incredible, call it top of funnel product market fit signs. Then we started on the journey of me realizing that it was a 20% monthly churn product and being like, we are fucked if we don't fix this. Right, so did everything we could to fix it. Really, when we quit running Facebook ads, it dropped from probably twenty percent to like six or seven, and then it was all over the place. And like, you know, some of our customers—it was like we had customers were paying nineteen dollars a month, and we had customers were paying fifty thousand a month. Like, show me another business like that. I mean, it, it, that's in its infancy, right? So it was this very strange—you know—the revenue jumps and contractions were were all over the place. Um All the while, I was still oriented towards a lifestyle business. I was never going to take any money from anyone. So it really, like, I'm not one to fool myself into thinking that planning in that environment is possible. <laughs> you know, the only reason that I think it is now is because we know our average deal size is 30K. We know it's a seven day sales cycle. We know it's a 90% close rate. And we know we can just put humans on in these various different pockets to generate leads. We don't know how fast it's going to be. Like we probably will in eight weeks, but like our death scenario is like, we get to like 35 or 40 million, (laughs) you know, just like this did not fucking work what we just did. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's like the, the biggest thing that happened and the funny thing is like, like, Santos shows up he's like we need to de-risk these businesses in this business in five de- five different ways and we need to sell annual deals otherwise we're not going to be able to grow this company cuz it turns too high so ultimately this product bundle ended up being amazing the pricing change which was effectively like somebody we were selling for $7500 a month was now $2500 a month and they were getting this whole other band of value so it was just incredible value and so they didn't bat an eye at an annual deal which was a strange mental block. I never thought that we could sell an annual deal on this thing. This is just a commonly a belief that Diana and I held can't get, the, can't get people to buy annual deals hmm. wrong, <laughs> totally false. Anyone can, you just have to have the right value versus price bundle. So we've, we've sold 500 of them since October 24th. The first, the first Friday I made the deck on a Wednesday, Diana, clo- Diana was three for three on Friday. I literally w- wrote my wife. I'm like, I'm going to forever think about my career as before and after october 24th wow. because from now on we're 100 percent annual funny thing is santosh sent me the same thing he's like you're going to forever think about your career mm-hmm. as before and after this day because once you have these annual deals at an incredible value point that you have powder to raise the price you can really scale that business like the churn problem is still present for like six months while your monthly customers are doing whatever they're doing and either rolling to the annual or quitting or whatever. But after that, like you can go very, very fast. So that is when, you know, it's like we had, Santos joined us September 1st. We had an executive offsite September 24th. We said everything that we needed to do. We had one the first week of December. We had done all of those things. And then it's like, go time. That's kind of how it worked. So up until then, it was very freewheeling it. It was just like, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes a ton of sense why, you know, you're still trying, you don't have any historic data. You're getting off the ground. You're trying to find product market fit. You're trying to find the right price point, the right customers. You're experimenting with these different uh, target markets. So when you find this one, you get these numbers down, Was, was the move to annual, uh, just out of curiosity, like purely um, just to address churn or was it also getting at the root of like, did you find customers would churn and if they just would have waited a little bit longer, they'd have, would have seen more value. So was it also a nudge no, to get them to like,
1: it, it, it's kind of like
0: an EV, it's an enterprise
1: value in eliminating churn thing. Like okay, if you go to anyone who will acquire or invest in your company and you say, You are a monthly deal. Your valuation is like 25% of what it is. If you are annual and have like, you know, 120% net revenue accretion or whatever, net revenue expansion. Um, So that's what it was. It's like, get us in a position of where we were on annual deals and we have net revenue expansion that is in this 120% plus category so that like really the game, we were trying to create a perfect an incredible business that was also the perfect asset looking at it from an investor standpoint.
0: Right. So it's interesting. You went in kind of with all these different expectations, you're emotionally going high and low, you know, depending on how the market responds to you or whatever you went in thinking you're going to build this $25 million, you know, like, but you then you want to sort of solve the churn. You land on a target market that you see there's actually wild opportunity to go beyond what I thought with it. Um, Is it, it now, when you go to set goals, is it much more like your goals, your goal setting process seems really straightforward. And maybe it just looks that way on social, but it just looks like you kind of take a revenue target and then you kind of hypothesize like these are the three letters levers that we want to pull. Um, and then like, you know, based on this math, this is what we should be at. Is it is it as simple as it kind of looks online or like, walk me through what, you know, you're going to plan for 2023. What did planning for that look like for you?
1: Yeah, I'll say one thing before that. So like for my ego, I had always thought that the idea of bootstrapping a hundred million ARR business would in some way validate me as a serious entrepreneur. I had always said that. I had always said that would be amazing, but I I no way understood. I, I, I never saw the path, but I'm like, we'll just keep, you know, hacking until we get there. Right. So that was always kind of in the back of my mind, but there was no credible path to getting there. If you just look at like the the deals that were, so like post annual subscription deal, if you looked at our penetration into the Shopify plus audience and the fact that we have no competitors, uh, the fact that it works for nearly everybody, in the penetration of Clavio, for instance, which is like 95% in that audience. Like if we got 20 or 25% of these people doing this, it's like 150 million ARR story, right? So 50 seemed very achievable. It's like when you sat there and you ignored all of our existing revenue and just like with $30,000 deals, said month by month, how many of these deals would we have to do to get 50 million of new revenue? It seemed very achievable. Like we didn't really have to speed up the thing more than like 100% or something. And we were willing to basically hire as many people as it took, right? So it's kind of like one of these things where it's like, that seems achievable. Any more than that seems almost not credible. In some ways, this is even hard to believe because we only hmm. grew a hundred percent last year. Why would we grow two hundred and fifty percent from a higher number? I mean, talking, we understand why, but like, right. I don't know. So it's literally like, let's just get to fifty million,
0: <laughs> and
1: right. and like, almost no matter how effective each of these channels are, with sheer muscle, we should be able to hire enough people after we know. The productivity of each of the channels to get there. So like, that's kind of how it worked. We're still like, I think I, I might've said this like eight weeks away of knowing the efficiency of like a good fully trained BDR and like what our partner channel is producing systematically and like, you know, what we can expect from an event and stuff like that. What I will say is like every week that goes by, Santosh and I are more and more confident that we're actually going to do this. Cause like the metrics of the core business are improving so much, even with all of this machine that we just put together at like 2% capacity or whatever the fuck it is. Um, so, so that, that's really what it was. It's just like, let me just start at a number and then, you know, l- let's guess like the band of effectiveness that mm. these employees could be in. Right. And everybody that's got to full productivity, they're just like way beyond even the band that we thought, which is like, kind of why. You know? Okay. That, that 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 was where where that. We're short answer is we're still guessing now. Like, but it it's like a very, you know, when you sit with anyone who works here and you're like, here's what we would need to do, and here what's here's what's happening now. They're like, oh, great, I'm on board. Let's go. This is
0: amazing. Yeah you know, is, is your mark, like, so obviously sales, uh, you've got a strong BDR movement is, um, what is your marketing movement look like? Like is, it seems like a lot of it is the investment in you building, you know, the content up and everything like that. Is there anything else that you're doing there?
1: Yeah. So like I grew that first email company with sales. I knew nothing about marketing. I like learned about marketing from digital marketer.com. I've like never run a banner ad that's worked or whatever you know i mean this is just not my thing but i think that i like understand the the principles of marketing well and i think you need to to like make sales decks and shit anyway um we didn't do hardly after those videos we did zero marketing we couldn't even go to trade shows until covid was done and we did some events last year didn't do them properly but like like I knew nothing about social media. I'm not even on social media. I would look at influencers, if you want to call them that and be like, I am unwilling to play that game because my guess is the second you stop feeding the machine, it's all over. It stops working for you. Mm It doesn't, it's not a game that I want to play. And the stakes were not high enough for me to do what I perceived needed to be done in order to effectively play that game. I know enough about what we do and what I do in life. Like I know what I'm good at and I'm really good at it. I know that there's people who are really good at social media and I know nothing about it. I'm not going to go start fucking tweeting like against LeBron James, right? Like no way. (laughs) Right. So like, um, all the while as this picture is becoming less opaque in my mind and we're like, there is this trajectory and it's like, okay, at this point, these big Shopify stores just need to know about us. I started to, the the idea that like social media platforms are how awareness is generated. People are on social media platforms to connect with people, not with brands. I heard about triple whale. Apparently all of their marketing occurred on Twitter. Apparently very little of it had to do with their actual founders tweeting incredibly intriguing to me i like <laughs> went on a rabbit hole finding people who worked at triple whale to try to get this explained to me what the fuck they did yeah. so uh that ended in actually a personal friendship with their cmo i know Robert really well okay. um, i have a monthly dinner with him and tommy their head of social actually runs my linkedin so <clears throat> he's got an agency you know does it on the side for people like me
0: um yeah he's really. His triple whale, what he's done with triple whale has been super impressive.
1: Yeah, no, he's a man. He really gets the machine. But, like, without so, like, a couple things pushed me over the edge. One, founder brand by Dave Ger- Gerhardt. Read that book if you're a founder, even if you're not. Uh, number two, um, Tommy and Raba. It basically got explained to me. It's like, of the active users on LinkedIn, there's only 1% of them that are content creators which is totally, the supply-demand competitive dynamic on every other platform is way different. But like yeah. building an audience on LinkedIn relatively is easy. And that happens to be where our audience is, right? It's LinkedIn and it's Twitter. Twitter is more competitive. We started on LinkedIn. And then he got me comfortable with, he got me comfortable that it would work. And he's like, dude, I'll just do it for you. It's month to month. If you, if you want to stop doing it, just stop, like whatever. So um, I basically like, <laughs> it started working so well that it's like, man, like that, like this, like this is working. It's like me. And and it's like, I'm, the reason it's working is because I'm saying such outrageous things about the success of our business. So like, it's pulling our business up, but at the same time, the business is pulling me up. It's like, you know, this it's like, they're working off each other. I'm not sure that it would work. Like I wouldn't do it if it were get emails two years ago, Mm -hmm. but like there's such a clear, like land grab that like and what I can say on these social media networks is so uh outlandish compared to all the other it cuts through um so that has been like we don't do any marketing other than that, wow, um, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, mean we're the- go- we're going to events, we're sponsoring shows, and we're like doing dinners for sure. influencers and stuff, but like we're not like. There's no, there's literally zero other dollars being spent b- besides, but the founder branch is expensive. I mean, I'm making a TV show right now called billion dollar challenge. It's, it's a weekly 10 minute YouTube episode. Like that shit is expensive. It's got a showrunner director a series editor, you know, like I'm spending, like, I don't even know, like 80, 90 grand a month on all this different founder branch shit,
0: <laughs> but like, right, but it's but like yeah.
1: every single day someone asks me to work here. I get a referral of someone like I walked up to this woman that was at a dinner that I was at. That's the number two salesperson at intercom company that I love radiant, incredible. Apparently she must've been following me on LinkedIn. Like three weeks later at the triple whale after party, she walks up to me and she's like, I want to work for you. Who do I talk to? (laughs) Like, like, like that is happening every day. (laughs) You know, it's like, Like every day someone tells somebody they watch every one of my videos. Like, uh, so like if we're not see what I think I lack right now is like, Tommy's great. He's an agency. Uh, so he's not totally dialed. Like I feel like I'm lacking a content manager that can be like, if we just did this a little different and you spent a little more time, you could be everywhere and optimized on the different video distribution platforms. Since that's my most comfortable medium, you know, I right. can crank out video, but like LinkedIn and Twitter, they aren't really video platforms. So this is, this is like the next step, but I'm going to wait until the show comes out first. Cause my whole idea there was like, there wasn't like a cohesive, like, you know, connection between, I don't know what I'm doing, but it feels wrong. If That makes sense. Like,
0: I don't know what right looks like, but like what I'm doing, it feels like it's still wrong. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, like how often are you, when it comes to these goals and these milestones that you're setting, obviously you're building in public with all this stuff. How often are you looking at these, at these things and kind of course correcting? Like how often are you adjusting the plan? How often, what does transparency look like among your team as well? Like now that you've scaled to 47, whatever it is, people, um, how many of them, I know, I know you mentioned in one of your YouTube videos, you're having pretty frequent meetings. Um, in those meetings, are you sharing like all the health of the business numbers? Like how transparent are you with your team on that? Like what's kind of your philosophy on that? I want to be as transparent as
1: possible to everybody for accountability. Cause like, it's not just me that came up with this and I'm like, guys do it. Like all of the leadership is bought into this. They all win huge if it happens. And they all think that it's very attainable. Um, it was very difficult to predict the ramp for these people that we hire, you know? So like the model, we're changing numbers. And like, we got this publisher business wrong that we thought was going to contribute. You know, I don't even know what it was, like 5 million ARR or something by the end of the year. So it's gone. Anyway, we're adjusting the monthly sort of like whatever along up to 50, but like, things are so encouraging in the near future that we're seeing like the signal from the agency partner world. Like, you know, I would say the, the, the BDR signal is like probably the, 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 the most underwhelming as of right now, given how long they've been working at it. But like Diana has like a million percent confidence that she can get that thing hammering. Um, so not too worried about that. Uh, and then like, we went to this triple event and we smashed it. We closed like 15 deals or something in the first two weeks or something like that. So like, um, and the affiliate thing is absolutely bananas. We put a guy on it full time and he's just like, I can see, I was losing my mind over the last, you know, three months cause we didn't have any of these people in place. And like, I'm, I'm getting pulled a million ways to Sunday. And it's just like a barrage of, you know, Hey, you should meet so-and-so he knows like all these brands and like, it's, Oh my God. So, um, yeah, it's like we haven't changed the year-end goal. Um, I think in three months, if the signal that I think that I'm seeing that will like cause a mega change in, in trajectory in two months, if that's just wrong, then we're going to have to. But like, mm-hmm. it's like one of these things where it's like, like, this is the most uncomfortable it's ever going to be. I've started spending money on a bunch of other shit related to, to branding and, and like, Oh yeah. Marketing. Like I'm, I'm sponsoring like Ari Ari's newsletter, like Daniel, uh, Daniel Murray's newsletter, Nick Sharma once a quarter, like Daniel's podcast. So I'm doing stuff like that. It's not like we're not doing marketing, but like, so like, but like there's not that much more stuff to sponsor. So it's like expenses ballooned, but we're still growing at the rate. That was our old business, if that makes sense. It's like all inbound related to growing brand heat and like these outbound mechanisms that we're putting in place are not really working yet. Okay. Right. Okay. So it's the most uncomfortable it's ever going to be. We still generated 260 grand last month. Hopefully, I hope we still generate above 250 this month, but then it's going to start, you know, the growth as these people were paying actually start increasing lead flow. Like it will, the hiring is going to slow down and the revenue growth is actually going to start. If that makes sense. Right.
0: Yep. Yep. No, it's incredible. Um, yeah, it's wild. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to following along, you know, with more of the updates on LinkedIn. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, but my last question is related to, um, it, it's kind of a, a fun hobby question for me, the product market fit thing you on a couple of your posts, you talked about how crucial that was for you and how, like, I think you shared a, a breakdown or Tommy shared a breakdown of like seven, you know, lessons that you learned. Product market fit was in like three or four of them. Um, what was the, what was kind of like, it? how do you describe product? Like I've heard people try and describe it in different ways. And the criticism, I think a valid criticism of product market fit is that sometimes it's described as like super, super, uh, ethereal, like it's a feel, it's not like an objective thing. And so people feel like you can slip in and slip out of it. How do you describe product market fit? And do you like, for you, it sounds like it was the the difference of like chasing a boulder down a hill a little bit, or like all of a sudden, some of like the sales resistance is just like, wow, this is really easy to sell. Like we're closing, no yeah, one's churning. So So like, it
1: was always kind of easy to sell, but like, It was a combination of all that stuff that happened around Santosh joining, like the rebrand or retention.com plus chopping our prices by two thirds, adding a hundred percent more value and going annual at the same time, only like increasing focus to only going after the Shopify plus guys, period. And no one else and putting all of our energy and all of our messaging and everything out to that ecosystem. And the, 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 just the brand heat of like the message spreading around. That's a super tight ecosystem message spreading around that ecosystem. How well these brands, everybody knows what we're doing with it. Right. Um, I would say it's a combination of, you know, uh, like pain in the market that's getting solved there are other options to solve that pain. So for us, it's basically nobody is a direct competitor. Like there's mm. this company Wonderkin, but they're like a fully managed service and super fucking expensive. And these guys just hate it. Um, anyway, uh pain, other options. And then I think the team is super important. Like, even if you have those first two things and you don't have the right players, it's not it doesn't get, you don't, you don't like know what flames to fan if that, and you're not fanning them efficiently. If that makes sense. Like there's no way my first time around I could have done this. There's no way I could have done this without Santos because mm. he's done this five times, like with the same level of ferocity. Um, so, and then, uh, uh you know, people say things are happening like, 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 Diana and I were absolutely drowning in answering emails of people trying to do business with us. Like, that's a very difficult feeling to, to describe. Like there is more demand for my 30 minute slots than I had 30 minute slots to talk to people. <laughs> right. Like that's a very good sign. Yeah. You know? Like when your revenue is just growing, like that when your bank account is just growing, that's a really good sign. Um, when, people, I mean, you could say this is part of my founder brand, but when like every single day someone is soliciting a job from me, like that is a really good sign. Um, When your customer's expecting no affiliate commission at all, send you brand intro after brand intro, right? Like really good sign. Um, Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for me, it's like, it's like, if you look at what the problems that we're dealing with, it's all problems related to like, uh, the demand that we're having to deal with. (laughs) Right. Mm. It's not like, and it's like, yeah, we're trying to speed it up, but it's like, this is like, like we are unlocking, we're like opening a faucet, right? This is not like, we're trying to like, like jam water through a pipe with air. It's like, there is this built up wall of demand around us and we're like pulling bricks out of it one by one with what we're doing i think that's like a good uh descriptor like when people are drowning because of how much activity there is Mm. um that's a good indicator you know yeah there's no slack (laughs) anywhere in the business
0: yeah, that's that's kind of like the picture that I'm getting as you're describing the change of like, I mean, obviously, we didn't talk a ton about it. But when you ran the email tool versus just the momentum right out the gate, you seem to get like, like in the first Facebook right. ad in the request that people were like, didn't want the email tool, but wanted this thing. Like, it seems like at every step of the way, there was this like, whoa, momentum seems to be going this way. Like there's this, right. this natural gravitational it was a pull. strong signal, but it was yeah. still
1: not something that I was, it was still, you know, high churn lifestyle business is great, right? But like, I didn't consider it, you know, really, I didn't think this was, yeah, it's like, I didn't think it was a possibility to like be bigger than that until we figured out the other stuff.
0: So it's not that you didn't want to aim at the $100 million bootstrap thing. It's just that the way the signals told so, you early on, you thought we we just can't. So the real story is I've been sharing an office with
1: Dave Rogan Moser. I've been renting a desk from him. He's the CEO of Jasper AI for four years. They started Jasper two years ago. Those guys, I have a text on my phone. We were texting a lot at the time. They were stuck, out of money, didn't know what to do. They were asking me because I was in a similar situation three years prior. At the time, the high watermark for both of us was get emails. It was 267,000 MRR. I have a text from him right here from December 29th, 2020 said first paying customer seven got the idea seven days ago. Hopefully this is my get emails. I watched those motherfuckers bootstrap 60 million ARR in 12 months, raised $200 million at a $1.5 billion valuation for a product that did not exist 14 months prior with the best investors in Silicon Valley. Each of the founders took out 25 million bucks. And then it made me totally re-examine everything that I was doing. The first step was the fact that they bootstrapped up to that level, but they were plowing it all back in. So they were spending $2 million a month on Facebook. I had 8 million ARR at the time and I had one salesperson and I was paying her like 30 grand, let's call it. I was like, what if I could spend $2 million a month on this? I would certainly have more ARR than eight, right? right? And then that started this whole process of, Well, I don't know how to do that. Like, even if you told me here's $24 million for you to spend $2 million a month on this year, I wouldn't know the team to put together to do that. So it sent me on a quest to find Santosh, who then got here, agreed to give me three hours a day for a year as an advisor, almost immediately was up to six hours. He's like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen and agreed to transition to full-time COO. And that is the real story. That is there's so many lessons there. Like I encouraged Dave <laughs> to start that who was shooting for this thing. And then it went so much bigger than he ever thought, which opened my eyes to this being possible for me. And then I found the guy and now my whole thing, whole team thinks it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to be at 50 million AR by the end of the year. And guess what? Like, that's a unicorn. Like if you're 250% growth and you're generating 20 million in cash with 50 million top line like that's worth a billion dollars. Would have never thought this. You know, like when Dave sent this text message, he did not know that was in the cards for him and I had no idea it was in the cards for me. So like that was really that is the pivotal like even if I heard this story on a podcast, I would not have thought that it applied to me. Right. But yeah. I sat there I have 50 texts with Dave in this two week period. He's like, they were going to sell this and start a restaurant. <laughs> I was like, wow, dude, okay. like just start a couple more of these things, like fire everybody. Like, you know, I, I got two lean ones and like the founders were making a million dollars. It's great. You know? So that was the goal. He's like, start, we were both going to have these portfolio of small SaaS companies. And then boom, they hit that thing out of the park. And then I was like, wait a second. Am I looking at this the right way? Like maybe taking like all of my cash out of this is not the way I should be looking at this. Cause like these guys aren't hurling rockets at the moon. They didn't go to Stanford, right? Like they're like some guys from Maryland. Like, I don't know. Like I
0: watched them do it. They were just like sitting there working on their laptops on the other side of the office. Do you think if they had just been peers that like, you know, maybe you kept in touch with, it would have had the same impact? Or do you think there was something about like literally working in the same building? And I mean, there is something so
1: powerful about, I think the biggest thing is how much we communicated around, like, I can't describe to you how down and out these guys were. They were out of money. (laughs) Like, like they were having they were going to, to puke this business out and do something totally unrelated. They had to fire their whole staff they were, it was as bad as an uh, entrepreneurial journey gets. And then I was in a better spot because I had these two lifestyle businesses, right? Like, but I was still stuck. Like I was like, I was, if you read my text message at the time, I was very down on get emails because of how high churn it was. I hadn't gotten the first year I was really, it was probably still 15% a month. And the second year I got it down to like seven or something, right? 15% a month. It's like, this thing's a piece of shit. I need to be doing something else, right? Like 7% of the month's like, I can get this to 25 or 30 million. My life's going to be amazing. But like you watch a guy do that who is stuck at the same time in a similar place who you perceive is just like you, right? Like, you know, that it's possible, you know? And like, I started talking to these, he started hiring these amazing employees. Like he hired the CRO from walk me to be his president. And this guy, like you have one conversation, like he literally made me feel like, uh, like appalled at myself for the lack of growth effort that I was applying to this. He's like, it is unacceptable for you to only have one salesperson in those metrics. He's like, I have an idea for you, three salespeople, (laughs) right? Like it doesn't take like, so like, yeah, that just started this journey of like finding someone like Santosh to like, to like help me with this. And it's just been wild ever since dude.
0: That's incredible. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Um, sorry, were hey, going to say something? I didn't want to interrupt no, you. No, no.
1: I got to bounce. I got I to gotta, I gotta call with uh, Samir from Bessemer.
0: All right. The, awesome.
1: The CEO of SendGrid. He's such the man.
0: <clears throat> thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing everything. Real quick, where do you want people to go find you? Obviously, follow you on LinkedIn. Yeah,
1: LinkedIn, Adam Robinson, um, retention.com. That's the place. Our Our company page has a bunch of good content on it, too. Um, but yeah, everything that I'm
0: doing and saying is on either there or the company page. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at Databox.com.